1996, author David Foster Wallace released his magnum opus, Infinite Jest, an 1,100-page post-postmodern takedown of the great American novel. It was a smash success all throughout the world. Unfortunately, it just wasn't very good. Famously dense and nigh-unfinishable, the book earned a backlash as great as its praise. Join me, Jesse Dram, as we untangle this tale of boredom, addiction, and French-Canadian separatists in our quest of understanding on the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Hey, everybody. I've been a talkative boy this week. There's a lot of stuff on here. So, if you want to skip the intro where I talk about a lot of you out there who have been reaching out and given a lot of feedback on the show, you can skip to the episode proper at roughly 23 minutes in. Our guest this week is my cousin, and we had a lot to talk about that didn't directly... We talked a lot about just being a fan of literature, and not only that, but just, you know, how we got into David Foster Wallace and our thoughts on it, but also our own interpersonal family history. We talk about, you know... uh, How your class has a lot to do with whether or not you like David Foster Wallace. The age you read Infinite Jest having a big effect on you. If you want to skip all that and get right down to the breakdown, that's going to be about 50 minutes in. Again, this is a long one. That's why I'm putting this caveat at the beginning. Um, I think your hair looks particularly good today. Just wanted to put that out there. Looking sharp. Don't change a thing. Please keep listening. All right, on with you. Back to the intro. Previously on the I Hate Infinite Jess podcast, Jesse uh, spoke with comedian Ben Pernick discussing the ins and outs of Infinite Jess, pages 121 to 151, and Jesse left you on the hangover that he expected to lose his job this week. Well, guess what? Just call me Jesse Nostradamus, because I got let go on Friday. Hell yeah. Um, very very glad, actually. To uh, I, I'm very glad that throughout this, we have been on quarantine and working from home since March 13th, which, as uh, those mathemati- mathematicians out there will realize, is three months ago. That entire time, I have been gainfully employed, 40 hours a week, fully insured, and uh, I may have made a little bit of a stink about return to the office last week, but I was predictably laid off, which means this podcast is about to get so much fucking better because I have nothing else to do. I'm going to record a new theme song. I'm going to put paid advertising out there. I'm going to I'm gonna overproduce the shit out of this. I might even buy some decent audio equipment. What? I'm selling the fuck out. How you doing? <laughs> I hate Infinite Jess fans. This is episode six. I am, as always, your host, Jesse Dram. Um, today, we have a very special guest in what is honestly my favorite episode yet. Our guest this week is Cousin Frank. Yes, the world-famous Cousin Frank. No, you're... Uh, you're not forgetting some classical children's TV host that you don't recall. He is literally my cousin, Frank. He has a very important job, and so does want to have his last name hidden, anonymous, away from the filthy scum 
that is podcast audiences. Now, I tried to explain to him, Frank, this is other podcast audiences. We're made of decent people who just are united in hating a very bad book that hurt us so much that we have Stockholm Syndrome and believe it is great. And he said, they're just like all the rest. <laughs> nah, uh, my cousin, I really wanted to have Frank on here. And we'll get into this. I'll actually let you know if you want to skip ahead to when we actually get into the book. Because me and him talk for just a half hour on uh, just how you get into books. And not only that, but how he and I influenced each other. How how class comes into a lot of... It, it determines a lot of whether or not you enjoy David Foster Wallace writings. And determines what you like in general. We discuss how... Reading a book at the wrong time can ruin it for you. He actually flat out states in this, if I had read Infinite Jest when I was a teenager, I think it would have been a very negative influence on my life because I would have identified with it in all the wrong ways. Like, we got very deep on this. Frank is one of my favorite people ever, closest thing I have to a big brother. Well, one of... Closest thing I have to a big brother who also reads books. So... He's affected a lot of my artistic choices and, and taste in everything from music to books and everything else. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you know how far to skip ahead on that. I need to read a little bit because we have so many people reaching out to us. And uh, I say us. It's just me. Hi, it's Jesse Dram. I'm in my second bedroom. There's rabbit shit on the floor because that we have rabbits. And guess what rabbits do? They shit everywhere. So... We, I guess I mean me and the me and the rabbits. Me and the rabbits have gotten a lot of you reaching out, writing in to talk about what you think of the podcast, and we're gonna read them right here. So in the future, uh, if you would have want to have any communication with me, uh, I am on well, I'm on Twitter and obviously Facebook at Jesse Dram J E S S E D R A H A M. Can't remember how to spell Dram. It's Doctor Aham or Graham with a D. You can find me on Instagram also at Jesse Dram. You can email me at jessedram.com. Sexy nudes only, please. Please don't do that. It will be the cover photo or thumbnail for the next podcast if you do that. Uh, and weirdly on Reddit, it's under Diamond Joe Quim, which is not supposed to be any kind of gross pun. It's just the character limit, short for Diamond Joe Quimby. Why am I under that, you may ask? Because I wouldn't say I'm a Reddit troll, but... Well, actually, no, I wouldn't say I'm a Reddit troll at all. Trolls are fucking spineless losers. Let's just say there's discussions I would like to get in on that I would rather, you know... If you want to learn something, and particularly if it's something you're ignorant about, you need to ask some ignorant-ass questions, and maybe you don't want to sign that Jesse Patrick Dram, you know, junior... Born something something 1986 social security number. Please dox me anytime you have. And yet here I am giving all my information out. My phone number is 856. Uh, if you didn't all know my number, I would just give you the phone number of an enemy of mine. I don't know which enemy. I'd go make an enemy and I'd give you their number. Anyway, the shout outs. Um, been meaning to mention him for a while. Uh, person on Twitter, Infinite Jensen. If you can find them on Tumblr, that is Infinite Jensen, J E N S E N dot Tumblr dot 
com. This person has made sketches from the entire book of Infinite Jest that are really, really amazing. I'm a big fan. The one particularly last week of Mario and uh, USS Millicent Kent is very good. In a book that I feel is lacking a lot of human touch, <coughs> pardon me, in a book I feel is lacking a lot of human touch to actually see these characters portrayed uh, gets gets it across quite a bit. I really enjoy their work. Go check them out, infinitejensen.tumblr.com. Also, shout out on Reddit to Josbro23, J-O-S-B-R-O-23, for promoting the podcast while I have been slacking the fuck off. They've been putting the name out there. I'll be honest, I'm a little sheepish and shy on Reddit. I don't want to jump on to the Infinite Jest subreddit every single new episode because I feel like I even though nobody's making them click it I feel like I'm interrupting the dialogue but that's some shit I need to get over because this podcast is growing I want it to grow bigger I actually secured a really interesting guest I don't know if any let's say they're very niche but they're going to help me a lot regardless shout out to Joe's bro 23 we got shout outs uh Ryan emailed, came across your podcast last week and have been burning through it. Really enjoying it so far. I don't know if you would call me a DFW super fan, but I've read Infinite Jest and just about all of DFW's other work quite a few times now. It sounds like you've got a great lineup of folks to speak with, but I've been reading quite a bit of his stuff lately and would love to join you one week if you didn't have anyone else on. Uh, lives in Central Jersey, part-time composer. I love composer. Last winter, wrote a full piece of music for my wind ensemble about Wallace and Suicide, which was played by my own alma mater, the College of New Jersey. So if you look up Infinite Jest Music, College of New Jersey, you might get a very interesting piece of music out there. So thank you for reaching out, Ryan. We're going to... We're going to keep that going. I think I'm going to have people on at some point. I've decided I'm going to start a a side series, which will be whimsically titled Footnotes. Eh? Eh? It's pretty goddamn clever. Um, <clears throat> this will be a side series where I'll invite people on to not only discuss David Foster Wallace's other work, because let's be honest, I only have 30 episodes of this if it's just Infinite Jest, and I, I'd i like to make a little bit of money on it and get some advertising, so that would involve staying a podcast long enough to get a real audience out there. I'm unemployed. Take pity on me. Please, tell your friends about the podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. Please, helps all of us. As of right now, I think our only review on iTunes says... Love the podcast. Never have Katu King on again because your sexual tension ruined it for me. Which my girlfriend uh, humorously tolerated reading. It'd be nice if I could bury that one so she never has to see it again. Thank you. And I'll have Katu back whenever I goddamn want, okay? Please rate, review, subscribe. Okay. Next message. Hey, Jesse. This is from Wyatt. Hey, Jesse, enjoying the podcast, especially the format of digging through 30 pages an episode. Currently on my second read-through of the book, read it a year ago, really struck with me. As I reread it, one thing I suggest is to see the book as a series of stories in the Infinite Jest universe rather than one single narrative. Not a bad idea. They are all related to DFW in some way, but most stand alone. 
I suggest you revisit pages 17 to 26. It is the best description of true anxiety I have ever read. Guess what? I'm going to go check it right now. Be right back, motherfucker. I just went back and reread it. I hate that chapter. Here is a secret. Anxious people are anxious because they are bad people. They judge people all of the goddamn time, which is why I do not m miss a drop of schadenfreude when anxious people are tormented by their own anxieties because their real concern is that people are judging them as badly as they judge others. That's not true, obviously. I just have a very different kind of anxiety, and I don't really sympathize much with a guy who's really worried about, you know, eh, what if the what if my drug dealer judges me? Again, I can sympathize with the actual anxiety itself, but just like, <sighs> I love you guys. Thank you, Wyatt, for sending that to me. I just. That uh, that particular chapter you picked might have been my least favorite so far, but I understand that character does come back at some point, so maybe I'll change my mind. I have to admit, I am begrudgingly loving a lot of the stuff I'm reading as I go along. In this chapter we're getting to today, uh, pa pages 151 to 181, because we have to make up our own chapters, because David Foster Wallace thinks Year of the Adult Depend Undergarment should be 45 fucking chapters. Yeah, that's easy to reference back on. Lost my train of thought. Um, oh no, I have anxiety. What if after talking shit on all the anxious people, all the anxious people are going to think back now on what a piece of shit he is for having anxiety while he mocked their anxiety. Anyway. Uh, the chapter we get to today features the drunken rant by James Incandenza Sr. to Jr. As when he's a young boy in a garage that is very brutal, and we get into a lot of uh, talent that can be the albatross upon your neck when it comes to expectation that can last a lifetime. That's uh, actually uh, Cousin Frank specifically requested that he get to have that chapter. It's his first podcast ever because he wanted to talk about that chapter. Big shit. On Reddit, from user A High Time, with time being spelled like the herb. I like it. I'm up to part two and enjoying the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast so far, but I've got some information for you and Steve Clark regarding the Wardeen chapter that will help you better appreciate it. Like most readers, you wouldn't know any of this, but you're actually meant to find the scene offensive. In the 80s, when Wallace was at the University of Arizona's MFA program, quickly found himself at odds with his instructors. He was more interested in writing experimental and postmodern fiction while they demanded realism. He and his friends sometimes even wrote and distributed a parody newsletter making fun of the program for which they got into trouble. The scene in Infinite Jest had originally been written and submitted to the program during his time, entitled Las Maninas, which is a famous painting of the artist observing himself painting, while the subjects he's painting are themselves seen reflected in a mirror at the back of the room. I have seen Las Maninas. Check it out. It's breathtaking. In other words, it's from the point of view of the subjects who are watching him paint them. That was the purpose of Wallace's stupid pa uh, student. <laughs> Sorry, my bias slipped out. I had a Freudian slip, and I said Wallace's stupid paper rather than his student paper. To show the writing program how awful the realism they required would appear to the people he'd written it about. That is a, mm, you know, 
you, it, it's a shame that time is an herb because more than an herb, it should be a spice because that is a spicy, spicy explanation you put out there. Definitely reframes and recalibrates the chapter that I referred to as David Foster Wallace putting on blackface for five pages. That is a very good explanation. I'm, I, I need to read more into that because that was really, really cool. I like that quite a bit. Um, just got to warn you guys, though, this particular episode, we're going to get into some of the Mary Carr stuff. I know a lot of people love David Foster Wallace, but we really wanted to talk about uh, genius worship and just the kind of blind spots I can put up. Oh, that's what I didn't even get to. On the footnote series, I want to have, I want to bring on some of you, the fans, the listeners, and have a little round table and discuss not just the specific works, although we will discuss the works as well, but the themes of David Foster Wallace and his writing. So, I'll keep going there. Uh, only, only three more here, and they're much shorter. From Clay Parson on Reddit. Hey, man, just wanted to give you a shout-out as I'm enjoying the podcast. It's a interesting idea, and as someone who does enjoy the, enjoy the book, it's been interesting hearing your viewpoint. If you ever need a guest that loves Infinite Jest but mostly hates the DFW hero worship, let me know. Clay, you're coming on. I don't know when. As I explained to somebody this week, a lot of the guests I've had on here have been either feast or famine. Like, I knew when I started, I have, okay, I have three people who really want to be on the show. And then I had a few weeks where I couldn't find anybody who wanted to be on the show. And now that I have people hitting me up asking to be on the show, I have, like, the next five or six episodes scheduled. It's a real clusterfuck. We're going to work it out. We're going to figure it out. Don't worry. Uh, Reddit user, once and foremost, so from your podcast, the Yours Truly section, I believe this was last week, we discussed Yours Truly and C and Poor Tony. I always thought of this as a stream of conscious section. Almost reads like a taped confession or a written statement where the cops just say, just say what happened. Also never got the Boston accent you heard in this section. One other thing, I think we later find out who this person is. That's my theory anyway. He is integral to the story. Well, I just want to say how much I really like the podcast. I read Infinite Jest five times, and I'm really enjoying hearing you become a fan. So, do you have to be a comic to be a guest? Well, that's all very interesting, once and foremost. Again, I'm... I'm ugh. Don't you guys realize I just want to hate this fucking book, and you're describing it and putting it in proper context? Is fucking ruining that for me? I don't... I just wanted to make a podcast about a book I thought was dumb and that everybody liked was dumb for liking it and say, hey, the the emperor has no clothes and is a bad writer. And instead, everybody say, well, actually, the clothes are just uh, post post modern clothes. They're not meant to be seen by you. But if you look at it in this framework, you might enjoy it. And then I have to begrudgingly go, look, just because you're right doesn't mean fuck you. OK. And fuck you for being right, you guys. Uh, please under understand I'm saying all this in jest. I am saying this all in jest. Um, the, the DFW and Infinite Jest fan base has been so positive about this podcast and so supportive that, that I am kind of taking apart something you guys love and i i really really appreciate it so but it, 
rest assured, any vitriol I put your guys way, I'm I'm fucking around at this point. You guys have been really good to me, and I'm enjoying. I I'm enjoying you guys tolerating me playing in your sandbox a little bit. So thank you, thank you very much. No, you don't have to be a comic to be on. Just comedy is uh, my wheelhouse where I feel comfortable. Which, by the way. Go on YouTube, throw in my name, find find a video of me doing stand-up. I think I'm a funny guy. Some people don't. I still have a link, a private link I did for uh, a a contest where oh, I, I had the crowd eating out of my hand. Eating out of my hand. And then I did a pretty edgy joke at the end that I didn't have to. And who, boy, I have never seen an audience turn on somebody so fast and i saw it from the first person view because they turned on me and i don't think i've done that joke since then but you can't find that joke because it's a private listing but watch my other stuff and see uh see if you think i'm any funny i am on youtube as mr jessico because it, it's, it's just an old one you know it's it's really weird trying to be a performer and coming out and actually putting your name out there. Because that's the thing. You want to create all day. I want to create all day and have people read and enjoy and think and ponder the stuff I work on. But in this modern social media age, the moment you put your actual name on the post, you're opening yourself up for abuse. As I found with a fucking argument I got in last week where somebody who I was arguing with, arguing completely not related whatsoever, they ran, they found a six-year-old Facebook post I meant that had some bad language in it. I'm not going to lie. If anything, it just goes to show how different a time it was that nobody called me out on it in the comments and we're actually discussing the thing. And this person just like, but just so you know, I have this in my back pocket. I can destroy you whenever I want. That's a fucking weird thing to deal with. And I know David Foster Wallace has uh, some hang-ups about fame. And I I literally did not mean that as a joke. That was that that, that was uh that was a bad wordage there. I apologize. I truly did not mean that. But I know he had some issues with fame and putting himself out there, and that's something that I would love to talk about in our footnote series that you, the viewer, listener just might be on so again reach out rate review subscribe thank you guys this is a long fucking intro i'm gonna go back and put a caveat at the beginning say hey if you want to skip all this skip all this if you want to skip me and my cousin saying how much we love each other and how we affected each other growing up and how he got me into all my favorite art and how much I appreciate that. And then he tells me, like, well, you were always smarter than me. So I had to, that's why I took that jealousy and I became a very successful man while you got laid off and run a podcast. So if you want to skip all that, uh, jump to about 50 minutes in. We, we spend about a half hour. We talk about a lot of stuff, but we skip some of it. If you listen to some of it and you're like, eh, you know what? Not for me. I don't like Polish people and I don't care about their relationships intrafamilial. Skip ahead to the Infinite Jest stuff at about 50 minutes in. And I am going to go back and give information on how you, how you, the viewer, could have skipped all of this. If you've heard this, you're too deep in the lair. There was an option to get out the whole time. You missed it. You were making a left 
you were making a left and you wanted to make sure you had a clear way and now you're stuck thinking i wish this asshole told me i could have skipped ahead about 50 minutes oh well you're stuck with me now i love you episode six cousin frank pages 151 to 181 on the i hate infinite jest podcast new theme song coming this week maybe and we are recording episode six of the i hate infinite jest podcast pages fuck 151 to 181 my guest this week we, we all know him we've all seen him on the billboards and on the radio uh radio legend cousin frank yeah prepare to be disappointed yeah uh cousin cousin frank is not his nom de plum uh he is literally just my cousin frank that is not his professional name but he wants to protect his privacy from uh the many evils of the world and i do not blame him as somebody who has been victim to the evils of this world cousin frank thank you for doing this podcast and way to set the challenge down thanks that's okay i'm gonna be swatted well, this is also your first podcast ever, so right. obviously, if you're ever going to make a mistake on a podcast, this would be the one. Yes. <laughs> so let's not look into it too deeply. Don't worry; the the video is just for me and you. That doesn't sure. go up anywhere. Yeah, um, I thought so. Um, so, but I mean, first, did you ever workshop the name Infinite Jess? I did not workshop Infinite <laughs> Jess, dude. SEO is a motherfucker. That's why, like, literally just put I hate Infinite Jest. That is the perfect. There's already uh, so many people who hate this book and hate the fan base that, like, it would seem like this is your go-to one-stop shop for all your hating Infinite Jest needs right there and there. So. All right. Dead silence. Right. We're doing good. That's all right. <laughs> dead air. Um, so, yeah. I'm so, yeah, Frank. Tell- Cousin um, Frank, uh, our our mo- our mothers are sisters. Um, yes, that's how cousins work. Yep. Um, our brother, our brother, <laughs> our parents could have been brother and sister. You don't know that. That's our- true. <clears throat> um, so I guess real quick, the the reason I read this book was um, uh, my friend Sean was reading it, and he had read it, and the way he described it when he was done was it was like watching. Um, a TV show that you really love and that when it's over, you're kind of sad to see it end because you've kind of fallen in love with all those characters. And I, I had some vague familiarity with Infinite Jest. I didn't know the sort of like the, how it sort of became a meme in itself. Um, it, it was like akin to as much as I knew about like Gravity's Rainbow, you know, it was just like that big book that people read or pretend to read that I, know nothing about the author i know nothing about the story right but since you know only the legend yeah so well like even even the vagueness of the legend it was just like something i was if someone said oh infinite chess i'm like oh that's that big book and that's about as far as my knowledge went for Mm -hmm. um but sean and i would read we read dune together um because of john hodgman kept referencing dune in his comedy Oh, yeah. If you have never read any of John Hodgman's uh, The More You Know trilogy, it is one of the funniest. Spectacular. Amazing. And he went into another book series you turned me on to. Yeah, and he actually went into more nonfiction 
uh, less humor, which is also because there were some, especially in uh, That Is All, there were some sections in there where we got some personal and I was like, damn, he's like a really good writer. Mm. And he actually did write like a, a sort of an autobiographical book uh, called Vacation Land, which is also really good. And then he has another one out and they're really good. It's like, no, it's, there's like his humor's in it, but like, it's more straightforward, not just like a joke book, which is like more right. information than you require. And, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> complete world knowledge, I think is what it's called. Right. So um, we had read, and we had also read, we started reading Swan's Way, because um, that's another book that's like very long and, and very, Who's the author on that? Uh, that's Proust, right? Proust, okay. Um, and he's, he's, he's an older author. Like that book was written, I think like last century. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think like we read that 1871, maybe. Oh, that's when he was born. So um, 1913. So like this early, early 1900s. But um, I think that was also, uh, we read that because I, I think it was like, there was a Monty Python bit where they were, there was this like a contest was who can who can summarize and remember to think past in in the quickest way possible or something like that okay and and the joke being that remembers the thing past is like seven books um <laughs> long and it's like 800 pages per book or something it's like a long long book and you know there's no reason to really read it except <laughs> if you uh like torturing yourself or if you just wanted to maybe get this stupid monty python bit a little bit better you know, um, oh, I, so. have, I, I have definitely read <laughs> hundreds of pages to better understand a three second joke that yeah. I picked up like <laughs> yeah. from the Simpsons. I've been in this whole quarantine thing. I have been watching a lot of movies and all I can say is the amount of Simpsons references I now get has mm -hmm. is astronomical like what the fuck the, uh, the natural which is pretty much everything from homer at the bat that i never, uh -huh. I never <laughs> yeah realized. right yeah right yeah you grow up and all of a sudden these these references start to like oh yeah wait like simpsons made nothing original they were all just like <laughs> commenting on what was what was popular at the time um exactly. <laughs> so uh full disclosure i didn't i'd never finished swan's way it it was just too much for me i probably read like 80 pages i was like i don't want to do this this is stupid um <laughs> that, that, that was that was pretty much my reaction to this book when i first read it <laughs> yeah so infinite jest um i read it and i read it in, and i talked to you about this before that i think i read it in a more of a unique way where i drive a lot for work and the drives i make are and and um your first guest kind of touched on this what was his name um dan ostrov dan ostrov he he touched on this and it like he summarized it perfectly. And I feel like most of my thoughts on the book kind of mirror his almost um, identically, but he mentioned something about uh, books on tape where I, I used to be very anti books on tape, anti audiobooks. Mm. I was just lazy, but then he mentioned something about like the, that you have like these long drives where you're not just like driving through a city, but like just like long drives down one highway for like three hours. Right. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of drives I make during work where there's really not much else going on in my mind besides just like pointing it straight. Right. So, by, by necessity, you're using a very small quadrant yes, of your exactly, brain. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's boring. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was reading, um, I was rereading game of Thrones, which is um, like, I'm a huge game of Thrones fan, the books. Um, and I was wasting so much time driving and I saw like, I downloaded like listening to a podcast. They're like, Oh, download audible for a free month. So I did that. And I got the first um, um, 
book for free and I listened to it and it was like a good way. So it's like I would drive for three hours and then I would carry the book with me and I would mark where I left off on the audio book and then like read from there. Ooh, interesting. And, okay. And, and it was really, what I realized is that just like you have audiobooks are usually done by professionals, right? Like actors. And, and the guy who did the audiobook for Game of Thrones is like this old actor. And they have a way of sort of, I guess, um, um, giving characters a voice where there's like a little bit more emotion than just like my monotone, dumb voice in my head as I'm reading. And then Galthor said, we will kill them before <laughs> yeah. they reach the gate. So you, I, was, I was like re-listening re to, I was listening to some of these passages that I've read before. Like it was like my third read through. Um, and there were like some emotional beats that like I just weren't getting from reading my own and and then like hearing him like uh read some of these chapters i was like blown away like my god like i didn't even get this when i was reading like what is what is going on um and that's kind of the same thing so when i when i read infinite jest i was doing those long car rides and and i wanted to not waste them so i put it on knowing that like okay audiobooks are fine i can like listen to audiobooks and they're actually helpful but like i wanted to give infinite jest like i wanted to put the work in so I was like rereading a lot of the stuff that I heard or re-listening to chapters I already read um, and just trying to keep track, which is a, a very um, difficult thing to do with a book like this because yeah. you would hear the end. They don't read the footnotes in the audiobook. They just. That's like, right. Chime. The and, last person I listened, yeah. I, I did the episode with, did the audiobook, And he said that you still needed like, a yeah. hard copy of the footnotes to reference. Yeah, yeah. So I would go, I would like go back and like reread the footnotes and reread some of the some of the chapters. Um, but the guy who who did the audiobook, his name is um, it's like Pratt Sean, something, right? Sean Pratt. Okay. Um, and this the chapter specifically that you know I think we're going over today. Um, I read it first, and then like I re-listened to it and. It, it was like night and day between me reading it and then him sort of acting it. And it's um, like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way I can like send you a snippet of an audio book, but it, it's truly like amazing. Like what he, how he sort of confronts this chapter. Um, uh, the sort of the, the, the monologue of his father. Uh, the uh, chapter we're discussing yeah, today. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, so that's sort of my story of infinite jest. Um, I read it. After I was done reading it, I felt um, cheated because <laughs> there's there's uh, a lot of buildup, and I, I'm sure this has been told to you before, but like mm. there's there's no payoff, right? No. Um, and and I was like, okay, like I read it, it was good, but you know, I, I guess I, I I don't see the hype, right? Right. And then like I started like uh, like I said, I had no familiarity with David Foster Wallace, and I started like doing some deep dives into David Foster Wallace. You know, I, I read, I, like I watched This Is Water, which you, you mentioned before, which is great. Right. Um, I watched a lot of his interviews. And like one thing I noticed is that, and, and read is that he is a very smart guy, right? Mm -hmm. he's, he's just like, you can tell there's like an intelligence there. Mm -hmm. um, and um, usually when, when um, you see that, you just sort of submit to that person's intelligence and say, okay, maybe the issues with the book I have are, are just... Um, me just not getting it or maybe there's something I'm missing. Oh, you, right? so you, it's you, like, you genius gaslight yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's like, if like maybe he's right. Professor was like, no, like this, this equation works. And I would look at it and say, okay, I mean, I don't get it, but you're saying it works. So it works. You seem like a really smart guy. 
mm-hmm. right? Um, Guys, you don't know but, you don't know what it's like when I do guess it right. It's yeah, it's um, such, but, so good then. So so the perception I had of the book, first of all, when I first started reading it, um, and you started l- listening to a lot of the characters, I, I I first thought like this is probably when the first hundred pages, like oh here we go, another book like this, very very fraternal, very male oriented, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is like uh, books that I grew up reading in high school. Um, you know, like Kurt Vonnegut, which I know we both we both read. Mm-hmm. Um, even like books like Johnny Got His Gun, 1984. Like these are the books that sort of like got me started, you know, mm-hmm. in, in high school. And and looking back, it's like those are very like male dominated books. And, right. and, and you don't even think of it at the time. Yeah, I, and not, I, not the time. You would you would think that. And um, you know, I, I was been I've been trying to get away from that a little bit because I feel like it's important to have uh different perspectives, right? Um, so I've been, I've been trying to challenge myself to read a lot of, um, um, you know, mm-hmm. authors that don't necessarily look like me. Right. See, um, I, I don't think I've read many books written by women. I've always just assumed that, uh, their, their breasts got in the way of their typing. <laughs> That's, I feel like it's, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I mean, it's, but it's also funny because like one of my favorite books is, is To Kill a Mockingbird, which is obviously oh. famously written by a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, um, you know, and, and I think that the reason I like that book so much is because there's something so universal about it. Whereas like um, this book, Infinite Chest is like, like, yeah, I can, I feel like high school Frank would have related to girls not liking me, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas like nowadays, uh, I'm glad I read this book um now that i'm older because i feel like if i would have found this book in college um you would have been all in it would have been dangerous yeah 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 (laughs) see well that is part of the problem i've had with this book is it's just i don't understand who it's supposed to i i don't get the appeal now i'm starting to get the characters a bit more because i do feel that the book itself kind of blossoms as you go along because that that first hundred pages, there's a lot of just like, I don't need to listen to this fucking guy describe every piece of furniture in the room. I get, yeah. I get where you're going for. Why don't you just put that in a sentence <laughs> and save some fucking trees well, for this paper? Here's what I want to say. And this is what I was kind of getting to is like, when I finished the book, I felt cheated. I felt like, okay, what's the hype? But then as I started like thinking about it more, I don't think I've thought about a book this much after having read it. Um, and had it, my opinion of it changed the more I thought about See, it. And you're not unique in that. I've heard that from yeah. a few different people. And yeah. I, I feel a little bit like a invasion of the body snatchers that <laughs> like, don't you see you're how wrong you yes. are? <laughs> it's really so nice over here. It's post postmodernism is warm. And, <laughs> but, uh, but even looking back now, realizing when I first read this, I was like 21, 22. Wow. And, yeah. So, well, one thing to put out there for people, uh, you might have no relationship with your cousins whatsoever. Our family, extended family, is really kind of tight that I find out is very confusing for most people. Like, mm-hmm. I've, I've dated a lot of girls. It's like, I think I have, like, one cousin in Kansas. I, I, I don't <laughs> know. Your, your aunt is calling me right now. Oh, your let mom. Yeah. Let me, put, Ka- me... put Karen on. <laughs> mom. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, what do you? I'm I'm busy right now recording a podcast with Jesse. Uh, all right. We were 
Okay. No, not really, but he's napping, so. Yeah, sure. Ooh, can she bring one to Philly? Um, give me an Italian. Uh, get her like a cheese, cheese something. We'll bleep out your wife's name. Yeah. Yeah, cheese hoagie. Uh, pro- she likes provolone. All right, I'll text her. Text her. See what she wants. So as we all know, provolone yeah. comes up several all times right. in David Foster Wallace's work. Uh, I'm personally more of a Gouda man, but oh, yeah, <laughs> behind that's the a, curtain there. <laughs> I, I, that's okay. I love that weird shit in podcasts. Yeah. So um. Oh, but yeah. So we, uh, you and I are close. So you might remember during that time, I might have been reading it at a particularly bad time because mm-hmm. I was still just coming out of my weird conservative Ayn Rand bullshit era. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I admit I'm pretty, maybe that's Which what makes I, I luckily, after I've read Fountainhead and I, I stand I by the not, Fountainhead. Fuck I Atlas Shrugged. I stand by the Fountainhead. I think I, think I totally, I, like, I'd be the worst, like, because I read that and I was like, oh, well, like, she's, uh, like, I, I totally misread it. Like, I don't even know, like, I get, like, it's a very libertarian book and, uh-huh. um, but, like, um, I, I would, like, it didn't, tr- it didn't even cross my mind, like, oh, yeah, conservatives would love this book. Like, I just, like, I had no right. idea. Pick, you, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. and you don't owe anything to anyone. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then in Ayn Rand logic, that means you get to cheat on your husband whenever you want using that as justification. <laughs> so, But my point is, the, the fact that I was still in that zone made me, might have made me particularly unsusceptible to this right. book before you know i went out there and realized like oh yeah guess what the world kind of sucks and you're not going to accomplish anything which also <laughs> which also ties into this chapter actually uh-huh. as far as yeah. up being a great man but uh yeah so i told you a lot of my issue with this comes from class maybe i didn't see eye to eye because david foster wallace son of academics at ad- an academic himself Mm-hmm. You have actually formed like a lot of my taste when it comes to art, not only books, but I mean, uh, also music. Like, you know, I ran around with a bunch of metalheads. Right. N- none of them listened to the band Death. You got me into Death. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't even think you listened to them beyond that one album. Oh, I still listen to, to Death. Are you kidding me? Is Harvester of Human Sorrow, right? Oh, That's yeah. that album, I think. You gotta I have say, a burnt that, copy that, of. That was such a, <laughs> a a fucking disconnect for me mentally when I was uh-huh. young, and that was still identity based. Like, how the fuck can you like bright eyes and death at the same time? What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Chuck Schuldner would murder <laughs> Connor Oberst over and over. But um, I unlikely because he's dead. So look who won that round. That's right. Connor, Connor Oberst won. Chuck Schuldner zero. Connor Oberst will live to bury us all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um. But particularly when it came to like books and stuff, like even to this day, my friends, when it comes to their books, our biggest book discussion is me saying comic books are not real fucking books. Why don't you read a real book? I actually have I agree that. With you on this. Yeah, I have that I for a, I have that for a podcast coming up. Uh, a friend of mine, Adam Nutter, on the Nerds of Words podcast, does not read real books. He even posted on Facebook recently, like you people do this for fun. Meanwhile, <laughs> loves comics, so. The uh, the challenge I laid down is I am going to read the, the comic series Super Gods and I'm making him read Cat's Cradle. Okay. And, and then here's we're gonna... a f- 
here's a funny story about Vonnegut real, real quick. Yes, we both um, love Vonnegut. You got yeah. me into Vonnegut. Uh, I when remember, I was reading Vonnegut. As, <laughs> real quick, real quick. I remember when Vonnegut died, you called me up to hang out. Yeah. Because you really needed somebody you could yeah. just like identify God, how with. How cringy. That's <laughs> oh well no 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 but it got even worse because we did meet up on that yeah. and then also on that trip I mentioned like by the way I had a threesome with a mutual friend of ours and his girlfriend recently so <laughs> that, that conversation spun the fuck um, out <laughs> but so this is this goes back to like reading books at a at, at the right time right where um um reading Vonnegut in high school you read something like Breakfast of Champions Slaughterhouse Five um. I love those books. And even like, I loved his later stuff. Like, um, like time quake was probably one of my favorites from him. Time quake um, is a download. Yeah. Great. People don't give enough attention to. Yeah. Um, so like I've read, like, obviously I've legitimately read every Kurt Vonnegut book. And I remember hating sirens of Titan. I remember hating cat's cradle. I remember liking, like, it's like when, when bands release their first album and you're just like, you know, like, oh, okay. Um, like but you get in on it like your second or third album right and you're just like oh so he he, he grew into himself and exactly like you I, see like the, the seeds of like oh yeah, i see it's yeah. like when you watch reservoir dogs and you see tarantinoisms right. before they're really codified right i reread sirens of titan recently like like a couple years ago mm -hmm. and honestly like it was it was brilliant like i was blown away by how great it was like i completely forgot every every detail in that book um, besides like remembering it as being very dry and boring. And mm. I don't know where those thoughts came from because it was, it's phenomenal. It is a phenomenal book. Mm. Um, so I, I, this goes back to what I was saying, like reading, reading books at the right time in your life where you have a little bit more perspective, right. I think is very helpful. And I'm afraid to go back and read books that I read in high school that I loved because Ooh. I'm afraid I won't like them. I read, I'm rereading earth abides, um, right now you oh i need to get um, a copy of that because that's like one of those uh synchronicity like it keeps popping up yeah in my world and i i just haven't read it yet i need to it's reach very out and it's very in. appropriate of what's going on right now but i'm finding it like very boring you know like it's like the it's, it was written in like the 50s or the 60s and it was before like uh like if you read lord of the rings i don't i tried reading lord of the rings it's boring because it's 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 written like like a I, movie I like just read Frodo it. Frodo and Samwell go here, you know? <laughs> I, I just read it for the first time this summer and I absolutely loved it. Oh, really? I, I was I can, angry I didn't read it as, uh, as, I, I, as, uh, as a kid. I feel like the movies are better. <laughs> my favorite, and I took a screenshot of this, my favorite part of that book is, um, oh God, people are going to hate me. What is, what's, the, what's the elf's name? Legolas? Legolas and um, the dwarf. Oh, Gimli. Gimli, Legolas and Gimli, right? Like one of the good things in the movie is like their friendship blossoming throughout the trilogy. Yeah. In the book, there's one line in, in the book where it's Legolas and Gimli were behind, or Legolas and Gimli, who have now become fast friends, were <laughs> in the rear. And I was like, is that it? Like that's. <laughs> they, but they learned. Uh, hey, the, the one thing I will say about the books is the scouring of the Shire is an awesome. I understand that doesn't work. Similar. Uh, Oh, you didn't even get that far to get to yeah, it, did spoilers, you? Spoilers, jeez. Uh, this, <laughs> well, it, you know how the Lord of the Rings films ends. In yeah. uh, the books, Saruman is never killed. When the hobbits get back to the Shire, fucking Saruman and Wormtongue have taken over everything there. And the hobbits, now having learned to not be so weak and fight for themselves, 
basically fuck up worm tongue and send Saruman off to the woods and beat the shit wow. out of a bunch of hobbits. It's great. Wow, that's oh, fuck. You're gonna make me read about these books again. Just read, 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 read the end of Return of the <laughs> they, King. You'll they are fine. quick. They are pretty quick. That, yes, that was one thing I was surprised about. It's like how quick they read. Um, oh, but so one of the things I was gonna get into here is that uh, I I joke a lot in my comedy about coming from white trash, which is mm -hmm. technically true. But the other way I've put it is my parents were like the fuck up from each side of the family a little bit which you know my mom was young my dad was young and uh just the fact you and i coming from a very similar background and turning out completely different like really plays into well, obviously not completely different you mm -hmm. and i still get along we're having a discussion here yeah. but i am a podcaster who just got laid off from the job i don't like and uh, let's just say you're doing a good deal better uh, yeah i mean there's some there's some well, things happening but, there's some yeah. some similarities in I, there yeah um it's funny because i heard you mention before uh, well you you talked about me in a podcast a few podcasts ago where you oh. you referred to me as like the your your big brother right which is funny because i and, know it probably seems we're closer but yeah I didn't have I didn't have any older siblings, and I mean, and here's, let's be here's honest. There was there, there was cousin Mike, but he he only guided us that far. Here's really. something. Here's something that I don't think people understand, and I don't think our parents even understand. And going back to like, uh, <laughs> like our our upbringing, what I'm realizing now is that we're older. Is that like, they're all crazy. Yeah. Every aunt and uncle we have, they're all out of their batshit out of their minds. Right? Yep. Do you agree? Like, yes. It's like there's no. Like I used to think like my, my parents were like the ones that were like immune. Like now I'm looking back, I'm like, no, oh, they were just as crazy. Mm -hmm. They're all crazy. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it just has a lot to do with how, like if we break our family up, I yeah. mean, there's the one family we can agree like, oh, they were more success focused. And uh -huh. that's why they have <laughs> all, all the money. And like, I, I have said to my mom within the last calendar year <laughs> that when I was a teenager, I like, I wish I was in the house, a house of culture and learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because obviously like when, when my mom would like hang up the oh, phone shit. with somebody. Hold on. I need to write that down. I said your last name. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I caught well, it. I my caught mom it. would like hang up the phone and like, she'd be talking to like one of our, one of our aunts or your mom or, and like, she'd say something like, like, uh, like, uh, you know, like she, she, she th this wouldn't happen a lot, but she would just be like, she would just say something like, I don't know what, what they're, what she's like, she's having blah, blah, blah. And I would, I would just sit there and um like, okay, yeah, whatever. And now that I'm older and like, I see how they all interact with each other. Mm -hmm. um, they're all the same person, right? Like mm -hmm. our uncle, our aunts, like they're all, they're all cut from the same cloth and they're all. A lot of anxiety. They're yeah. all, yeah, exactly. I think that's a large part of it. And so they're all like daddy, right? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to get in huge trouble now. Okay, <laughs> Um, but so you were saying like the, the big brother, what I, I think people understand, and this is something I'd always like yell at my mom about because she would say that too. Like, he looks up to you. You're like, you need to be nice to Jesse. And I'd be like, I'm like, unaware of what, all this. What the, like, cause in my mind, we were like siblings of the same age, like nine months of like Irish exactly. twins. Right. Yeah. So I thought like, I'm, I always had to hear about your freaking, um, what was it? Your, your intelligent kids class that you were in oh at <laughs> academically AT. talented hell yeah. yeah i always hear had to hear about that bullshit all right mm -hmm. so listen <laughs> listen pal Wait, you weren't in the <laughs> kid class i was not 
I was not. So I was meant to feel very mediocre against you. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Is, is this where you tell me that this is the seed behind your strive to succeed and why you're <laughs> doing so much? Better? Well, I do say, I will say this. I think I owe a lot of it to um, a, a drunk extreme wrestler, right? Who came out to a certain song okay. and to Sandman. Uh-huh. Um, and that was the first time I heard Metallica, right? And that's something we would, we would watch together. We would sleep over, uh -huh. we'd watch ECW. Yep. Sandman would come out and he had that awesome song. Yeah, and, yeah. and I was like, oh, I got to find out more about Metallica. And um, I started listening to Metallica. And then I remember I was reading like my dad's Guitar World. So people may not remember back in like the late 90s, if you liked a band, like you couldn't just go on YouTube or Spotify, like you had to invest some money into figuring out more about this band. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's like I had the Black Album, uh, and then I think I bought Reload because I heard Fuel on the radio. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't dare waste money on an album where I didn't hear any of the songs before. Right. Um, and then my dad like had a bunch of guitar player magazines, and they're ranking the best metal solos. And one was was ranked like number nine or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I never heard that one before. So I got um, and Justice for All. And then found out about one being about this book, Johnny Got His Gun by Jolton Trumbo. And it. then it like was all downhill from there. I was like, oh my God, books can be amazing. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> See, yeah, no, I definitely had, I, I followed, that was one of the things I loved about Metallica was that so much of their stuff was based on literary. Like they have a song literally called For Whom the Bell Tolls, for yeah, fuck's sake. Yeah. And that was actually where I turned away from metal a lot is when it got to, obviously I got into corn and Limp Bizkit because I was 13 and that's you who did. it's fucking me. And for. I just stood by like a, and you stood by and let I, let, I let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you were, I was very angsty as yeah. I, particularly as hmm. like a little fat boy, just cause that is, and looking back, I was never too insanely husky, no. you know? No. You know what's funny? I actually, a few weeks ago with uh, that gym that was opening against orders in Belmar, mm -hmm. a post I did went like kind of viral, got like a thousand shares. Yeah. And I knew I had to delete it when I was, it stopped being locals and people from Montana, like messaging me, calling me a pussy and shit like that. Um, <laughs> I'm still very sensitive to being called out for my weight, despite not being that uh, big. But the fact that these people who hated me wanted to wound my pride and the discussion was a gym and none of them called me fat the main takeaway i got is oh like, yes. i guess i'm not that bad. yes i won um, this one <laughs> that's great yeah. um, but, um, so we should uh we should start this book right like, all right, let, all right, let's get into this a little more and we'll just get into that but uh yeah i feel part of that is uh fuck yeah let's just get into this book <laughs> We've gotten into so it. I feel like this is a, this is a drunken conversation we need to have on our own. Yeah, this is the the Jess Man Frankfeld podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, Infinite Jess Man would have been <laughs> a great Jess title. Um, so we we're we're here. I don't know what. So we're starting at one fifty one. Yeah. Blue, our our first little chunk here books. is one fifty one to one fifty six, where uh, we're talking about Pemulus and Axford's urine sample. Yeah. Shit, so, they have going on. So this is something that comes up later. Um, with uh with the urine and it is it is slice of life and rereading this again it's like one of the slice of life chapters but rereading this again you kind of um there's this is a build up to something um for instance i think uh is this oh no i, I think that's um the next chapter or the chapter after the the bs 1960 
Oh, no, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, gets yeah. The, he gets the DMZ, right, Pemulus? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he talks about the TMZ, DMZ in this chapter. Am I wrong about that? Uh, it, it comes up a little bit. The most I got after that, uh, that part that brings back up the urine again is we just get a little glimpse into him and his, you know, his practice of uh, refusing to get caught by saying if people want to do business with him, they need to call him and say, hello, I demand <laughs> you, you perform a crime for me yeah. or I will harm you and your loved ones. Yeah, which is a really great way around entrapment. But yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so we get in the description here that uh, urine samples are taken four times a year. Over a quarter of the players over 15 cannot pass these. So Pemulus has a little side hustle of uh, pretty much vending clean urine, which he gets from the sub 10 year students at the academy. And I put yeah. this in quotations because I love the line warm, pale, innocent, childish urine that's produced yeah. in needly little streams that would pass any scan except one for Ovaltine. <laughs> yeah, I've frequently thought of my innocent childhood. I've never concerned the innocence of my urine back yes, then. Yes, your urine, you, had, you were just pissing away gold. <laughs> Before it turned years. all gritty and went, disillusioned. You should have went to our local nationally ranked dentist academy. There you go. Um, <laughs> oh, so this, yeah. So this is, um, you know, I'm sure there's something, because when I was preparing for this, I was obviously focusing on the winter BS 1960 mm -hmm. chapter. Um, and I sort of, full disclosure, I kind of just quickly read this this morning, the 151 to 156. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I love about Pemulus is he's like the, the book's hipster. I'm right? loving Pemulus as we <laughs> learn more about him. Um, yeah, like he wears his like ironic shirts because he's not good enough to get a, get a sponsorship. Mm -hmm. um, and and so like it's just like, it's a good Pemulus chapter. Yeah, he also, in the later one, uh, he, he makes a nice little quip as he's on the bus and he sees Ennett House and how he just has the thoughts of like, oh yeah, my talents have pretty much allowed me to escape those kinds of people that otherwise I would yeah. be surrounded with. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so do you want to talk about the 1960 chapter or do you want to maybe Here, let me, let, circle let, back to that? Uh, let, let, let me just, I think we can knock this out real quick with the Pemulus stuff. Um, so yeah, they go to the dumpster. Cause I told you at this point, I, I also just do a little bit of summaries for whoever's right, sure. actively reading along. Uh, they go to the dumpster at Ennett recovery house and send in Mario to find every empty Visine bottle for safe urine storage under the guise of a good old fashioned game of who can find boil and box the most empty Visine bottles in a three hour period without any authority figure knowing what you're up to. Mario always wins. Quote, when you're poor old Mario in Candenza, you take your competitive strokes where you can find them. I'm loving Mario more and more as we get along. You, you should, yeah. He is the, he is the book's hero. Yeah. Um, we get a little tidbit that Mario gets a kick out of pixelating people's faces on film. Um, yeah, Pemulus comes from the wrong side of the tracks. Seems he's a little bit dyslexic. He is the only recipient of the James O. Incandenza Geometrical Optics Scholarship because uh, <laughs> he's actually way better, like a natural hard science people. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? We can get into the next chapter because the last little thing I have here is where Hal is talking about his own self-identification, which I think has a lot to do with what we read in the 1960 chapter. Yeah. Um, so this is, you are the only person to specifically request a chunk of the book. And you requested this chunk for this specific thing, James and Candenza Sr. and his uh, soliloquy. So 
if you want to take the reins on this, please. Yeah. So it is, it is, I think when I first, uh, when you were first asking me about this book, you were asking me like what, what the first, you said people kept talking about how, how good the writing is and you weren't seeing it yet. And you asked me like, where was the sort of the first section where you thought, Oh, this is actually written really well. And mm-hmm. I said, probably this, this chapter right here, this was like the first chapter that kind of, I was reading it and jumped out. And it was like a lot of good chapters previously, like the whole uh, marathon buying marijuana scene I, I thought was, was pretty good. Um, but this one, so it is, it is uh, Jim Incandenza senior. So it would be Hal's grandfather mm-hmm. uh, is, is outside his garage um, with his son, Jim Jr. And he's, he's about to teach his son how to play tennis for like the first time. Um, and he's sort of getting prepared. Uh, they are in, they live in a trailer. Uh, he has a garage where he keeps his, his car that he kind of seems like he cherishes more than his own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just sort of like getting drunker and drunker as the chapter goes on, comparing how a body is to a car like just a machine um he talks about how his his father never came to his matches um and then he the sort of the the finale is you find out that he injured himself possibly slipping on a spider on the court during a match with his father watching um just one as, of the, yeah just as his father like this is the first time his father has seen him play. He's only there because he's playing against the son of a client. The client's yeah. father is actually complimenting him saying, wow, that, that kid, kid of yours got some talent. And as he is already in the momentum of slipping on that spider, he hears his father say, yeah, but he'll never be great. Yeah. Just, is just like so heartbreaking. Just um, as Jim like destroys his knees on the asphalt, as we'll find out uh, ruins, permanently. R- ruins his tennis career. Any shot of a tennis career. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost as if God himself had been the one to say he'll never be great and then put it into action. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I, I want to ask you, because I was, I was sort of uh, excited to see you get to this chapter. What, what are your thoughts on this chapter? What did you think of it? I, I loved it. I need to I need to absorb it a little more just because this is the first time in this book I've actually really uh not that I've just enjoyed it that it actually really hit home. Right. Cuz I I personally have a bit of obsession of uh of being like a, a great man or like right. being great in one way or another and this has been on my mind heavily lately as i uh you know i'm kind of settling down with a woman where we're talking kids and we're talking marriage a lot and i really wonder if that gate is swinging shut mm. on well me. um yeah so <laughs> it's it's um it's a chapter where first of all it's it, Going back to what you're saying, um, we have a very young Jim Ancondenza Jr., mm-hmm. right? I think he's like 10 in the chapter. Right. And you have uh, his middle-aged father. And sort of the, one of the things that I got from this chapter was that like, um, they're, they're so close just to making things right where it just takes some logical 
figuring out on their part where um, like something I would say to you is that you're young Jesus. Like you're not even right. You know, like, uh, like uh, you got, you got a lot of time ahead and Mm -hmm. um, coming from someone who started a family like later than I would have liked, you Mm -hmm. know, um, there's no rush. Right. Okay. (laughs) Now that you're there. Okay. Yeah. Um, So one of the things I love about this chapter is, is it's like, it's the whole book condensed into uh, a scene between his father and son. Right. And, and that's right. the, is, one of the major themes of this book. Is, right. This is, is something that permeates and ripples out through yeah. the rest of it, which I feel while we've gotten a lot of descriptions of the universe, this is the first real like thesis statement that like, this is the theme yeah. of this book. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. It's like, if you weren't getting it until now, this, this is it. Um, I think maybe there's like bits of it when uh, Orin and Hal talk, um, I don't know where the part is where they talk about how uh, Jim's death. I don't know if that happens later or before. I don't, this. I don't think they talk about it. the and, only thing we really have yeah. is somewhere in here we have uh, Hal is really striving yeah. to be like Orin and also be an accomplished athlete with so, the thing, and then and then two uh, and then all of the Incandenza children, aside from Mario, will be you know famous athletes, and this would never occur to Mario in a million years to think of it like that. But yeah, so a few notes I have about this is um, he <laughs> he refers to his or his father refers. So I, how we got it. James Sr. Mm-hmm. Refers to his own father as himself. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and he goes on just about how how big of a, a disappointment his own father was or not a disappointment, but just like how he just. It, there obviously was no relationship there and right and he you can kind of see that it's affected him in a great way i can't imagine so you have a very young james jr listening to this mm-hmm. and then he grows up have kids of his own who then refer to him as himself mm-hmm. right and sort of the same like uh, uh dismissive sort of way uh-huh. and that's just was so like painful to me like could you imagine like you know you you, you started out this chip on your shoulder because your drunk father uh, who would talk about his own father, like the man himself, mm-hmm. and then your kids would just be like, "Oh yeah, himself over there," you know, mm-hmm. like, 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 fuck, you know. Um, See, I unfortunately, I did have a few. Like as a child, my dad got really drunk and would start talking about his dad, and they were, oh, they were pretty sad. <laughs> well, no, nah, they were more along the lines of, uh, "Yeah, I, I was a fucking asshole, and he died, and." Don't worry, that's not going to happen to you. Whoops. Oh, my God. Whoopsie doodle. Oh, my God. Lift on an Oxycontin into somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. But, uh, yeah, I do. I love, like, that. just some of the lines he throws about his father, uh, may he rot in a green and empty hell. So one of the things I love that James Sr. puts here, that he puts on his son, is that, you can have no concept of what it's like without my presence. I've been here. Like you can't get away from me as opposed to talking about his father who was never there. Yeah. And, and that was sort of one of the ironies I saw this chapter where he, he talked about his mother would go to every match to the mm-hmm. point where it lost all meeting. And then he'd be whining about his dad, not coming to any matches. I'm like, Hey asshole, like your mother's there. Cause she loves you, you know? I, I do. I, I do think young men, in particular, we don't really appreciate our mothers until yeah. we're in our but like our thirties. 
I, and I think that goes back to one of the problems I have with this being a very male centric book where, um, I don't know, growing up, like I looked, I, obviously like our, our circumstances were a little different, but I looked at both my parents as like a single unit, right? Okay. It's like, it was either one or the other. It wasn't like, oh, my dad's not here. Oh, my mom's not here. It was just like, oh, my, my parents are here, mm-hmm. um, you know? Um, so that was part of it where I saw, because you do see this with the book where it is a lot about uh, communication between fathers and sons and how if they just like talked a little bit. And I, that's obviously it's one of the main plot points is a father trying to communicate with his son, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you'll get to. Um, they, they, they drop some of that chronological bullshit yeah. early on where we have him as the conversation therapist. With yeah, Al. exactly. Exactly. So uh, you can kind of see where things started going off the rails and, and you can see that there's obviously like this recursive quality to this book where history is going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, tell that like we're at the point in the book where um, someone's trying to break the wheel uh, in a sense um, because you can see that obviously James Sr. had this relationship with, with his father. Uh, James Jr. had this relationship with, with his father. And now Hal is having the same situation with, with his own father. So it's just going right on down the line, right? But reading this, it's just like, no, he's, he has this bad relationship because his father's a drunk. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, dude, and the father is putting his own bullshit on yeah. him in a way you know a child and does not need exactly and it seems like first of all he seems like he bought a nicer garage for his car than he did for his own family in a trailer mm-hmm. did you get like maybe i was looking into that too much but it seemed like no no i i picked up on that the way that he really <laughs> yeah. fetishizes the montclair yeah yeah and like, God, the, the way he talks about physical space and mm-hmm. movement like he uh he makes reference to Marlon Brando, although throwing in the like, yeah, your goddamn mom loved Brando, but she yeah. never appreciated the way he he treated the world like it was a part of himself, which I think comes into the physical aspect of tennis and is going to come into the way James and Candenza Jr. They talk before that he's not really so much about the small things, but like looking at it as a grand pastiche mm-hmm. of a sport and opportunities of mathematically that show up in between and this might have you know this might be the origin point of that the kind of fetishizing of like the physics of a thing yeah that's interesting yeah because there's also there's a whole section about how he drops the book on the ground his his uh optical science book right mm-hmm. and then uh i guess there's some some theme of physics there maybe um um but going back to the brando thing what I thought was funny about that is Brando, uh, his, his mom acting in the scene with Brando, I guess, as an extra. Yeah, they, right? seem, they seem to be hinting that it's the wild one. They mentioned something yeah. about a motorcycle. And, and he's talking about how his mom like, fell in love with Brando, but never really got Brando. And to me, it seems like he's just so jealous because he also wants to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but then his own wife like got to act in a scene with Brando, despite how limited that is, that's gotta be like the, the, um, pinnacle of acting, like sharing a scene with Brando, you right. know? Um, so I, you can tell that it, this is all, this is all on him. Like it has nothing to do with, with his wife's feelings. It has nothing to do with his son's feelings. Right. It's his, it's his very own perception of things and how, how wrong they are. Mm-hmm. and how he just can't see that himself. Right. Um, and you see that, well, go ahead. Good. 
but and this comes up so there's another chapter that's that's really that's similar to this one where we where we come back to the the james senior household that that uh thinks i think reinforces that point which you know you can have me back on i can discuss that chapter as well but it's also like a nice chapter that kind of like hammers home a lot of the stuff you see in this chapter as well Okay. Yeah. I think we see as a, and if you've ever had a drunken dad conversation, you know, this is where they always end where it starts with them imparting wisdom to you and mm -hmm. letting you know how life's going to be. And of course, offering you a drink or two. I don't know if you had that. I had that plenty. Um, and then at the end, it kind of denigrates into him breaking down and showing how much it is about him. I have a bunch of quotes here from this at just the topic of talent overall. Afraid to give my last talent the one shot it demanded. Talent is its own expectation. You either live up to it or it waves a hanky and recedes forever. I'm afraid of leaving a tombstone that says, here lies a promising old man. Potential may be worse than none. I'm so scared of dying without ever being seen. I was out there, a self that touches all edges. It was given me to hear my father pronounce my bodily existence as not even potentially great at the moment I ruined my knees forever. A religious moment, what I learned to be, what it means to be a body. Just meat wrapped in a flimsy nylon stocking. I felt the religion of the physical that day. You get to hear and feel your destiny at the same moment. And uh, I've definitely had that thought before small that's that's such good writing though right would you yes yeah i agree that is <laughs> that is very good writing and yeah. i i made this argument in the last uh episode that as good as some of this is if you go by like the filmmaking thing that a great movie is a film with three great scenes and no bad scenes mm -hmm. you can't consider this a good book because there's so much bad in it like I Yes, this is great, but like Spider-Man 3 got ruined by one dance scene. You cannot put all these fucking Wardeen's shit in here and... Well, I, I do have some opinions about that because now, because I, I would have, after I'm done reading this book, I think I would have had the same, um, I, I think I had the same exact opinion, but now that like I'm sort of reviewing this a little bit, and like going back, there is there is a point to almost all of it. Um, and a lot of it is subtle. Um, and I don't think, uh, it's the, this may be the final resistance I put up before falling on my knees and accepting the bandana to Christ. Like yeah, well, it might just, <laughs> it might just happen that way. Well, for instance, like there's a lot, like the footnotes, people always say, oh, the footnotes, the footnotes, but there's a, there's like huge things that happen in the footnotes. And it's funny because I, you know, I went to law school and one thing you learn is that um, when you read Supreme Court cases or any, or any like uh, court decisions, um, there's a lot of footnotes. And those footnotes are like you, you learn very early on, like, oh, no, you have to read the footnotes because that's where the law is. Uh, right. And if you miss like a footnote, that's like you failing an exam. Yeah, okay? you're pretty you're pretty much just reading <laughs> so, somebody's opinion unless you're referencing the actual upheld precedent behind. Yeah. It. So I had like some I had a positive bias towards footnotes coming into this book because I understand their importance. And there's a lot of things that happen in the footnotes and even just like small details. Like I think it's in a footnote. It says um, his, the, the, the film, the film cartridge, the master copy supposedly is interred with, with his body. Yes. Um, which is very, very important to know. Um, and I think that even comes up in the very beginning of the book. Um, and that this sort of goes back to like the, the chronology of the chronology of the book. Um, uh, like something huge happens in the beginning of the book. And, 
and you don't realize the significance of it until you have read all of it, unfortunately. Um, okay. Um, so uh, what were we talking about? So yeah, going back to BS 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were getting a little were, bit on just the, the nature of, of talent and, yeah. and expectation and failing to yeah. capitalize on uh, gifts and work. My question is, when do you think his dad started drinking? He says he started drinking when he was young. Mm. I'm like, part of me, I don't know if like, this is like tinfoil, like I'm just looking too much into a book and this is like a high school English class, but part of me is thinking, do you think he was like drunk on the court? And, and I don't... I, I, obviously I think there are, it's ambiguous of whether there were spiders or not mm-hmm. um, because it never comes out and says it. So uh-huh. I think that's there where um, you, there's a good argument to me that like there might not have been a spider that caused him to slip. And then the question is what caused him to slip? Right. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, so you think he might be throwing a, throwing an excuse spider that exactly. might not have existed. Exactly. In there. Yeah. You know, I think you might be reading too much into it, but this honestly comes just with my own uh, moderate issues with drink, which is, I, you know, because drinking is so accepted casually that I think problem drinking only really starts with trauma. Right. Like, I, I, I don't think people really become like sloppy, shitty, fuck up drunk until they really like need a wound to throw some gauze on there. And I would almost venture to say that it was more just because we know so little about him before this actual it seems way more like he's telling this as his genesis story that like i was going to be a great tennis player and then i fell and then that was it so i honestly don't think he was probably a problem drinker before that this might have been the moment that led to that yeah no that's fair yeah um so yeah i mean i feel like i don't like i don't want to be one of those people that just like goes back to the so like is there anything else i'm trying to think what other notes i have well i can get real quick the part i left out in the preceding chapter that deals with this is uh where hal is discussing his self-identification how he personally and this is him thinking to himself that he first identified himself as a lexical prodigy whereas he's now being encouraged to identify himself as a late blooming prodigy and possible genius so this is a lot of uh we're we're seeing the beginning ripple of how this has gone down to have expectations of yourself and even something as important as self-identifying he's like well i've been told by other people i should self-identify as this and how we uh, can kind of get wrapped up in our future projections of ourselves, regardless of how true they may actually be to ourselves. Like, I don't know what, uh... Oh, and I, I did have the thing here um, reminds me of one of my favorite sayings. The specific line here is uh Hal is now being encouraged to identify himself as a late-blooming prodigy and possible genius at tennis who is on the verge of making every authority figure in his world and beyond very proud indeed, which reminds me. It's such a calculated way of saying your parents will be proud, right? Exactly, which reminds (laughs) me again of my favorite saying when it comes to credit stealing and blame deflecting, victory has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you're absolutely correct, yeah. (laughs) um but yeah it's just wondering like i'm i i know i'm somebody in particular where uh 
the expectations that were put upon me were very, very meager. And I was actually very angry and rebel. That's probably why I got into performance where it's like, oh, your, your biggest concern is that I finish high school. Guess what? People are going to pay to hear my goddamn thoughts and my music. <laughs> Might have shot the moon a little bit too much on that one. <laughs> But yeah, my, my particular, like I was, it, it, it was brought up to me when I was a kid that like, Hey, you're smart. You're fucking lazy, but you're smart. Like if you yeah. try to do this, but I think part of it was just, I had a particular, I've told people I didn't go to a real college because like neither of my parents, they weren't even dropouts. They never went. My dad yeah. never graduated high school. I was so ignorant of how college worked that I, I didn't know loans were a thing. I just immediately assumed like, oh, well, we don't have money for college, so I'll just go to community right. college. And I remember when my brothers reached that age and my mom was telling them like, you know, go to community college, save money. And I screamed at them, no, go away to college. Get the fuck away from this. Because if you were staying in your hometown and all your fuck up friends ain't doing shit, like, at least in college, you can all be fuck-ups, but you all need to wake up and go to class the next day. Mm -hmm. That is such an important distinction to just get away from. Dude, I fucking hate Belmar so much. There are, like, <laughs> there are 50-year-old men still getting in fistfights over shit that happened in high school. Like, people do not grow out of that shit. <laughs> and I wanted them to get out of it. And, yeah. like, I wish I had. Like, again, uh, another way you influenced me. If I had not lost all my high school friends because I wanted us to be a serious rock band and they wanted to get high. Uh, <laughs> I started hanging out at nine North ninth with you and your temple friends. And then even there, the friends I made out of that group now live in their mom's basements and their other friends don't talk to them and all your friends are very successful. <laughs> so I keep getting in the right places and making the wrong decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know but, what to tell you <laughs> but yeah as far as should have went to that, law school no don't go i to law should school. have yes but uh yeah expectation was always I, I always felt like while i didn't have that external expectation on me the fact that i didn't i have my own brutal like almost secondary voice that is like yelling at me for failing and not doing enough that you know a parent probably should have been doing Right at some point, and I definitely I I feel that pain of just like dying and being like a nobody, a nobody, just like all the nobodies before him. Yeah, I you know I think everyone has that you know where you you grow older and you just you start to think, well, is this is this it, right? Um, exactly. And um, you know, I, I think a lot of that is um, everyone is dealing with it. There's way more non-famous people than there are famous people right mm -hmm. so it's like <laughs> we're not the first ones um, right so it's like uh like you know i, I guess um and i mean also to look like, back like you you and i aren't too far removed from like the generation of our family that first moved to america where yeah. for them it was literally like let me get the fuck out of poland before my head ends up on a pike and the uh -huh. Russians starve us out. <laughs> and they got over here and they were just like, this is pretty cool. I'm going to open a bar. Okay. Life complete. I give it an yes, A. That's it. I give yeah. it two thumbs up. <laughs> Would recommend. <laughs> yeah. And just the bar raises from there. 
so yeah maybe so that's just our millennial mindset though like just you know just do your job like shut up and do your job <laughs> maybe like dude i'll tell you a, a weird thing i didn't really know where like my creative part came from myself i knew my dad drew but i mean like that uh -huh. was really it after his mother my grandmother died we found out that she was like a published christian poet and really none of us knew this she had a, wow. like 40 magazine clippings she sent into like women's christian journal about the beauty of christ and i don't Fuck it. Somebody liked it enough to put it on paper. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's that's something that could have been. I mean, I guess she was happy with the route she took. But all right, because we're, we're, we're getting it's getting late. Um, okay, I'm I gonna have to move this. I'm gonna have to co-opt and uh, just move the train along. So we're talking the tennis and the feral prodigy, narrated by Helen Condenza. This is such a good chapter. Because yes, it is. And it, a lot of the same stuff bleeds in that we were just talking about where we yeah, see how it works. In the yeah, it's day. like, and, and this, this, like reading this again, like when I read it the first time, I was like, okay, this is, this is like an interesting chapter. And now reading it now, I'm just thinking like, oh shit, like uh, Hal's going to want some answers. Uh, and, and sometimes those answers don't exist. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some devastating consequences. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not as easy as this chapter makes it out to be. You know, you can't just like uh, lather on your pine saw and, and be good, you know? Right. Um, so, this so yeah, is, th th this is a film uh, narrated by Hal, says directed, recorded, edited, and written by Mario. And uh, it's presented very much as an instructional video, but uh, like, you know, you know uh, hold, hold, hold the racket gently at such an angle, etc. But a lot of other things bleed their way in. So if you want to take the lead on this, please be my guest. Um, sorry, my wife's interrupting me. Um, they do that. Now she just gave me an evil look. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. And one of the things that, that this book is like this, this film, it says it's written by Mario. We know Mario is just like a sweetheart and right. This, this, this chapter is not written by a sweetheart. So it's like a lot of the things you see online, if you're like, you're, you're sort of like, looking at outlines of this book is like, oh, this, this chapter was obviously written by Hal, despite what the, the titles say, because mm -hmm. there's no way Mario would write something so uh, cynical, you know? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but good chapter. Yeah, there's just uh, little details in here, you know, hit a thousand serves to no one while himself sits and advises with his flasks. A weird line that older men's legs are white and hairless from decades in pants. <laughs> I don't know how true that may be, but we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> um, have himself hunched down to put a long pale arm around your shoulders and tell you that his own father had told him that talent is sort of a dark gift with its own expectation. It's there from the start and either lived up to and lost. Here's, here's what's great about this little section of the book. Um, a lot, so this book is obviously, you know, you can get like your, your cork board out and start like following uh, red yarn to different plot points and things like that. I think what's interesting about these few chapters is everything is so condensed. We see this thing, the scene between uh, junior and senior, and now we see it immediately afterwards between right. Hal and his father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I definitely like how that's show again, we're seeing the ripples happening in yeah. real time due to their positioning and where we're seeing this. Um, 
Yeah, avoid these. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, love this line. Have a father who lived up to his own promise and then found thing after thing to meet and surpass the expectations, but didn't seem a whole hell of a lot happier than his own failed father, leaving yourself in a kind of feral and flux-ridden state with respect to talent. Avoid these thoughts by practicing and playing until, and just like, <laughs> and the notion right there, if you achieve your goals, does it actually make you any happier? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. So, so this is one of the things where I highlighted where it sort of gets into one of my problems. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like a, a passage here where he talks about uh, don't be. Um, oh, so he talks about like, like uh, turn down an extramoral date, extramural date. Uh, so you won't be asked again. Um, He's like talking about, okay, so here it is. So you, you can be sure that henceforth, Daphne, Kimberly, Jennifer uh, will take her adolescent mating dance type ritual socialization business somewhere else. Mm. And, and, and I don't know if you want to get into this now, but one of the things with David Foster Wallace in this book is um, he, he was not a good dude. And, and that mm. is one of the things that is sort of hard to uh, come through because you, you you sort of and like when i read this book when i first read it like i said before like it it was a very uh fraternal male-oriented book and i like thought to myself oh here we go one of these and then like reading more about david foster wallace and his history i'm just like oh it's a male-oriented book because he's a very male-oriented person mm. right and i've um, seen i i have <laughs> seen a lot of uh Obviously, when we think of like sexual assault or misogyny, it's very commonly put on like the bro or the frat dude. Yeah. But I feel like there is a permanent blind spot of people who are at all sensitive or particularly yeah. well educated. We're like, well, no, that's that couldn't be me. bad. People do that. I'm not I'm not a dumb, bad person. So I couldn't have done anything. Yeah. Like, I've and heard a lot of justifications from people. Right. And and I think so. This is this is where you get like a lot of the, the so-called dfw lit bros right and i i don't think those people i think those people are a um because if you go online if you go on like the the subreddit you you see this this topic comes up a lot and there's a very like nuanced conversation about it which is great and i think the i think the sort of um the dfw um apologist is just like a relic of the 90s or like the pre-internet mm -hmm. um because like, because you hear about it, you hear people talk about it, and I guess it still comes up. Where obviously there are like still like these these um, uh, conferences where people come and they discuss DFW's work, um, and but I, I think a lot of the people who talk about the book now who are just getting into it are aware of that situation and are aware of the um, the 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 issues surrounding it where. Um, can you separate the art from the man right mm -hmm. and that's that's difficult to do especially with a book like this uh because it presents so many of the problems yeah like i don't want to so to to bring it more into your world jesse uh -huh. like louis ck um, oh well, did, you know. did, did he get in trouble for something <laughs> but so like part of me was like um so so dan Harmon dealt with this where he he had an issue with a subordinate when he was writing on when he was um, running community mm. and and he had like a very famous apology right and and that was sort of like considered a gold standard of, of apologizing in the me too era mm. where you sort of um you sort of 
take responsibility for it and you give like, and I don't know if you listen to his apology, but it's like a very heartfelt. Um, I, I, I don't remember the specifics, but I definitely read it at the time. Yeah, so it's like yeah. he, he made these advances on a subordinate um, and, and it, it sort of amounted to, it got to the point where like the, the subordinate like started questioning her own talent. Like, is he keeping me around just because uh, he has a crush on me or because he, because um, um, he thinks I'm actually really talented and, mm. and he got like very mean to her. Uh, to the point where like she left the show and um, he, she called him out on it. Right. Mm. And he actually said, you know what, like, you're right. And he, he did a lot of soul searching and, and he did this on his own podcast. He sort of went on this long sort of um, uh, uh, speech about like what had happened. He was very open and honest with it and, and just pretty much saying like why he was wrong. Um, and even like the person who, who um, this happened to, she even came out and said like, you know, I am like, I'm satisfied with this apology. Like this, this is how, this is how you rectify things in this, in this um, era we're living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Louis CK, he also kind of did that. Like you heard stories about him, like reaching out to some of these women and sort of apologizing. Um, and you also, he sort of uh, turns himself into a person who was aware of sort of the uh, misogyny and patriarchy in the entertainment industry where he, I know he would give like, um, work to uh, women comedians and, mm-hmm. and writers, and he was sort of considered an ally. And and this stuff comes out, and and okay, it's like okay, maybe you try to um, allow some redemption. But the problem I had is when I listened to his stand up again with the new. So if you go back and you listen to Hilarious, or he, t- he talks about up, jerking off, and a lot. and you just think like, oh boy, like I can't listen to this. Mm-hmm. I cannot listen to this knowing what I know now, you know, um, where I could go back and watch community and be like, okay, yeah, like this is, this is great. This is still great. Whereas like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just something about like that where it's just like, Oh no, this does not have the same. See, effect. You know, that, that's part of the thing is I, I think it makes it so much more uh, unpleasant if they actually address it in the art itself. Like a lot of, a lot of the rock stars of uh, the seventies were known to sleep with underage girls. Yeah. Part of the reason you can enjoy yeah. that is they don't have any songs about like, you know, I'll pick oh, you up man. from middle but school. Come on my bus. That's the so. other thing. It's like, you can't have any heroes anymore. Like you hear about, you hear about things like, like David Bowie and, and mm-hmm. um, it's just like, so like all this stuff was coming out and you're just thinking we, we can't forget about this. Like right. we can't just, overlook and, it you have to admit part of the unfairness of it is david foster wallace isn't here to and, to and this is the other thing that i want to get into so jonathan franzen wrote like a really uh, uh it's like a semi-obituary about david foster wallace and like he sort of says because they were friends um but he sort of says that his suicide was done in a way to cause the most effect to those around him like he very did it in a very dramatic way Mm. And, and that is sort of like, it's like, I don't know if he were still around what he would say about his behavior because he was, he was to be frank, he was violent, right? He mm. was preying on younger women who, who looked up to him, like his own students, right? So he mm. was not, he was not a good person. Yeah. And, and um, one of the things, I don't know if you saw the end of the tour yet where it's. Um, I did. I actually, of, I, mm-hmm. I was very angry with how yeah. just like all shucks. They made yeah, him. so I think I had the same. I, cause, so like watching that, I watched that right after I finished uh, Infinite Jest before I started like <laughs> learning more about 
David Foster Wallace's history. And I thought like, oh, this is just a book about a guy who's just jealous because girls don't like him. And then like, which I thought was like, oh, this is like such a like a reductive movie. Like, oh, what is this garbage? And then I read more. I'm just like, oh no, wait, it's like really on point. Like he is the type of person who got jealous when girls didn't like him, right? Mm. Um, so it's like, oh, that's actually a very accurate portrayal of, of his character. And, and he did have like, obviously he was like, uh, he had his own demons of like alcoholism, but you know, I'm sure you and I, um, you talk about this a lot. We know a lot of the same people who are lying, dealing with a lot of the same issues with addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't necessarily turn into sexual predators because of that addiction, right? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> th- that is one of the things. Is like women are at bedrock just better than men because yeah. there's just there's certain impulses that just don't happen <laughs> yeah. with them quite as much. You don't you don't often meet the the female recovering alcoholic yeah. that but, like oh yeah I put my boyfriend <laughs> and my kids in the hospital several times. Yeah, and I just say that because people people like to say well he was dealing with his own things i don't i I hate saying like people because it's like what like give me a citation um but it's it's like out there where where it's talked about well he was dealing with his own problems with alcoholism with depression with anxiety Mm. but like does that like that to me that doesn't excuse his behavior you know um and and it's it sucks because it really is a good book Mm. and i hate that I, I am, when I go back to it, like, like when I first finished it, I was like, okay, you know, I read it. It's, it's okay. It's good. Um, and then like, I learned more about his personal history and then like, I'm looking more into the book and I'm just liking it more and more. And I, I just, I, 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 um, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Um, and, um, like I said, I think, I don't know if we recorded this, but I've been trying to sort of, um, expand my worldview a bit by, by, uh, reading sep- authors that don't necessarily look like me. Mm. And, um, you know, one of the first books I read after this was um, the Broken Earth trilogy. Uh, by a, It's like a sci-fi book by N.K. Jemisin. And, and to me, that was like such a breath of fresh air after reading this because it's got like uh, every, like it's written by a woman. Uh, a woman is the main character. Uh, a lot of the other characters were women and there's like uh there's a there's a trans women and it's it's such it was such an interesting book such a great book and it wasn't like hammed in there like oh i'm gonna write a trans character just because it's 2018 and this is what mm. people do and i'm gonna be woke but like it's just like a very interesting book with very interesting characters mm. right um whereas this book is like the characters are very interesting but they're very shallow in where they're coming from Right, right. I I, I read this as as a lot of the characters were, they weren't necessarily their own people. They were like one or two characteristics that they slapped a first name on. Yeah, especially, especially with the women. Um, Yeah, the women have not done much. I I think Millicent Kent might be the one that's made the biggest uh, impression so far. Yeah, exactly. Jamming Mario's face and her big old titties. Yeah, exactly. So you could do like uh, a... um, I guess it really can't do it with this book because there's so many characters, but like the Bachdel test of uh, oh, God. other females talk. And if I don't they, think, I don't talk, think, I don't think any females have really talked yet. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and there are some very dark chapters coming up um, where some of these women talk about their own life experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I do, I do want to give the book itself a fair shake and say that there are some very deeply developed female characters as well. Um, but you can also tell that they're sort of subordinate to the male characters. And one of the, one of the, I, like, 
this is going to drive someone crazy because I know some of the people on, on the subreddit listen to this, but there was someone who, who sort of mentioned it very succinctly where um, you can't, and this goes back to what I was saying before, where I think people are approaching this book a little bit more nuanced. Um, you, you can't go into it. Like, first of all, I think what, what they said is like the, the patriarchy is a real thing. And if you don't believe them in, believe that, then you're just not reading the, the right things and you're just not educating yourself enough. And, and that's such a great way to put it. Like, so this is something like you, you called me about um, the documentary about a poo that was coming out a few years ago. If you remember that. Yes. The and we had a conversation. Yeah. And, and I thought about this a lot because now doing the work that I do, um, I, you know, you start to realize that people's perceptions, just because they differ from yours, doesn't mean that they're wrong. So growing up, I remember I had a, um, when I went to college, I had a literature professor who was from India, right? And one of the things she talked about was Apu and how sort of prejudiced and, and racially insensitive he was. And I just thought, no, you're out of your mind, right? Yeah. Uh, Shut up. What <laughs> like, do you know? Like, because like- Have like, you no, seen every like, episode? Have you seen yeah, every episode? Okay. Exactly. Honestly, Jess, that was like the mindset <laughs> I had. Like, I think I quoted a joke to her, like, like, like this is not helping your situation. Um, but because I thought, Okay, well, like Apu, I love Apu as a character. I'm not racist, so how could the character of Apu be racist, right? And that's such that's such a dumb way of looking at things. Checks um, out to me. I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds right <laughs> on the money. But but there is like because there is and and you had a lot of people coming out sort of saying like no yeah like like Aziz Ansari I think said like he always grew up and he had to sort of fight that stereotype that was. Um, that was sort of solidified because Apu was was ingrained in our culture throughout the early '90s, right? When when these these young kids were growing up, and and that that's a shame, you know, mm-hmm. that sucks. And and they have a point, and like, yeah, they should just write out Apu. Like, so Paul F. Tompkins has a really good bit on one of his. Uh, uh, it's not on any of his records, but on his YouTube YouTube recordings, he talks about Chick Fil A and how like people say like, oh, like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Their chicken's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So yeah, just go eat their chicken. And he's just like, it's chicken. Just find other chicken. Like, <laughs> like, so it's like, it's like these, like these, it's, it's very hateful chicken. Like just buy some, some other chicken. So it's like, I, I feel the same way. It's like, okay. It's like, I, I feel like the people whose opinions matter, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that just because they're the ones who are, um, are affected most by it like we shouldn't just dismiss them mm-hmm. uh, because they do have a point because they're the ones who have to live with it right and and um that that goes sort of back with um you, you see people it comes up a lot like people are looking for um permission to maybe enjoy certain books so it's like they they go to um mary Kay, who's who's the author who had a relationship i don't know if it was like a, mary mary carr mary carr sorry mary carr um, who, who knew David Foster Wallace and sort of was a victim of David Foster Wallace. And you see that like people always say like, well, we have permission from Mary Carr to like David Foster Wallace. And to me that mm. like misses the point, you right. know? Um, like just enjoy the book. And, and I, I've enjoyed the book, but it's also something that needs to be reckoned. I don't know. I don't know what else mm-hmm. to say. It's something that I'm still like freshly thinking about. And right now well, I'm too I, into... I, I know you said part of it that you looked at this was also something of genius worship 
yeah in exactly general, how and we that, just let exactly. them slide and, and you can just go there's so many great articles written about this by so many great authors they talk about this exact subject that will, will probably be much better so you could just like you could just google david foster wallace abuse and get like there's like a new yorker article there's like like i said jonathan franzen wrote something for the new york times and and i think it's just important for people to maybe um read those because in, in the same way that i've sort of evolved to um, understand where people were coming out with with Apu. I think the people who are sort of very defensive of David Foster Wallace um, can sort of have the same awakening I had where like, okay, these, like, there's some very serious issues that you kind of need to make yourself aware of, right? And just educate yourself. That's all it really is. Right. You know, I, I, I both, do, but also educate yourself. I, I do think the bedrock that would honestly move a lot of these conversations forward is if they just started with the caveat, like, Listen, you're allowed to like the bad thing. I feel like yeah. a lot of the reaction is a gut reaction of like, what do you mean I'm not allowed to like this? It's like, yeah, no, no, you can. Like that's, personally, I didn't really have as much trouble getting with all this just because I listen to music that has like fucking murderer, murderers and pedophiles, proud ones <laughs> have made. It's like, yeah, well, it takes all kinds. What can you do? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's definitely something... I do feel there's a little bleed over and I'll make this quick, but I know like, uh, have you watched that Dave Chappelle thing that just yeah. released yesterday? Oh no, no, not a new one. He's got a new one. He released just a half hour thing on YouTube. It was oh, only recorded. Okay. It was recorded a week ago at an outdoor venue in his hometown. And it's just called eight forty six, And he just talks about all the George Floyd stuff. And it's mm -hmm. incredibly powerful. However, now, He's gotten in trouble for some transphobic, misogynist stuff. But the yeah. thing is, it's all been words. It hasn't been anything he's actively done. And right. his last special famously got like a 3% rating on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and then a 100% rating from the audience. Because it's kind of <laughs> right. like, well, that even in this thing yesterday that doesn't hit on anything, I'm already reading reviews of like, well, okay, he said a very powerful thing, but don't forget that he's transphobic. And that's where it annoys me a little bit, where it's like white authors telling a yeah. black man, like, well, yeah. while I appreciate you being on the right side this time, don't forget you were on the bad. Yeah. And, and in one of his specials, he said something that was so like, don't make enemies out of your allies. Right. Yeah. Like, that's like, that is something I feel us, good, uh, that is a problem. The right does not have. And it's the yeah. reason they win elections. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we're too like they're on like the you know you should be red whereas on the blue side it's you're not the right shade of blue <laughs> yeah yeah um i gotta so i gotta look that up yeah that's good look it up all right you want to um, call it yeah i mean so do you want to there's like one there's one bit where we go to the the Ennett house it's like uh, the transcripts from the, yeah we we get a selection i mean this is just like people talking about you know um anonymous voices just t talking about their lives we, we do have dfw drops in a humorous line about uh people so winged out on drugs they forget most of the limbaugh administration which probably was pithy and cute and not terrifying at all at the time we got a name drop of new jersey here at the end i'm just <laughs> noticing <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so um this this is uh I, I feel like i'm gonna re-listen re to this and be like oh you sound like a fucking idiot 
Um, and, I think, and I'm going to send you a text and like, just delete this, just delete this. <laughs> I think you sound great. Did I sound great? I looked to you, you for validation. You sounded, no, I mean, I've, I've listened to every episode just because oh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to repeat myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's great that you had uh, Katu King on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like uh, a lot of uh, men on the show, which I guess is just, <laughs> um, mm. you know, I'm, so, lo- I'm, I'm looking at another like female I, I guest found, right now. No, but I found I found it great to get sort of like get her perspective of it because um, I don't want to like uh, I don't know a lot of women who read this book, right? So it was it was it was cool to see sort of her her opinion of it. You, um, you want to know something fucked up? Our our only iTunes review right now pretty much said, "I love the show. Uh, never have her back on because your sexual tension ruined the episode for me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm working I mean, I, i'm I'm working i'm actually working on somebody right now who is a, a woman who is like an infinite just super fan so, oh really yes yeah, so i'm really curious to see um i'm actually looking at some bigger names to get we have we have somebody confirmed they're local but the, until that's actually recorded i don't want to get into it but uh yeah i really want to get a diverse group on here we got into it a little bit today we talked about maybe doing this splitting this into two episodes but yeah i think i'm gonna keep it as yeah. one but I yeah would... you said that and i'm sorry kind of i i kind of uh because also i feel like i'm definitely not the authority on this right right well like, uh, right now right now i'm reading a lot of like i'm reading um like a, the, because the world's so fucked up i'm reading a lot more noam chomsky and naomi klein and mm-hmm. um you gotta recommend some stuff to... i haven't i haven't oh, read a lot of chomsky oh uh read read uh, rocking home for the American dream. Okay. It will ruin you. Um, Love it. There's like, even like, if you don't feel like reading it, I think the documentary is free on YouTube. All I think my favorite, book... <laughs> all my favorite art ruins my day. I'm fine yeah. with that. <laughs> and uh, Naomi Klein shock doctrine. Another one that'll, that'll just fuck you up. And that just, Oh, America is a lie. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. but uh, you, you know what I think I'm going to do? I told you I wanted to split it into two episodes because those were topics I wanted to cover in a different episode. Yeah. But I think what would be better is to actually bring back some previous guests for our yeah, round table. Maybe more of an topic. authority figure on gender politics. Unlike me who just like, I'm sure I could find another <laughs> man that knows everything there is to know. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so um, th- this is just sort of like, that was just sort of my, my quick reaction to, all that all that was sort of hap- going through my mind as I was as I was um looking looking up his history after I after I'd uh, read the book so don't mm-hmm. don't like I'm sure my opinion w- could change as I maybe <laughs> look into this deeper um you know get a little more perspective but uh yeah it's it's a good book it's a good book um maybe not worth all the hype but you do I don't know I don't know like it's it's growing on me more and more like I said like how more how, how long ago back, did you finish it I finished it, let's see, I started it in like December, I want to say. And I think I finished it, of course, like just before quarantine, mm-hmm. um, maybe. I have to look like when I, when I texted. See, what, what, what's crazy is just like reading this and having to summarize all of it and write everything down is it's taken up so much of my time that I think it's going to take me like over a year to well, finish also, this I book. It's also a great way to sort of read the book too, because if just to like sit down and discuss it with somebody you could absorb it Mm -hmm. so much better you know like i I wish i was like able to just like sit down and like just discuss 30 pages at a time just so like maybe i could have gotten a little more of the the details that i missed the first time Mm -hmm. you know 
It is a lot of that, uh, particularly when they go into the insane amount of details and descriptions. It's very easy to get detail fatigue and just like, okay, let me look for quotation marks so I can get to something important. Ah, there we go. So Yeah. Oh, so it looks like I, um, I ended in January. Oh, so you actually knocked it out pretty quick, I guess. Yeah. Well, audiobook. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Cousin Frank, thank you for joining yes, us. Man. Yeah. Infinite Chess Man. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to stop recording, but you and I can talk for a few more seconds. Yeah. Which I say every episode and never edit out because I don't take this that seriously. All right. <laughs>